Welcome to Margin Business Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. In today's episode, we got Kyle Walker. Kyle is the co-founder and chief acquisition officer of Foundry Brands. Foundry Brands is acquiring the next generation of omni-digital consumer brands. Welcome, Kyle. Great. Welcome to Margin Business Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm really happy to have you here today, Kyle. Great that you can make it. And yeah, we want to find out more about uh, your journey um, from, yeah, from the beginning to, uh, to success where you're right now and how everything evolved so, so the listeners can understand um, where have you, where did, where did you went through and what happened in your uh, early life up to uh, today? Thank you. Sure. Um... You know, I've had, uh, I've definitely had more of a, what I would call a generalist um, background. You know, as soon as I finished grad school, um, you know, ended up uh, teaching for several years uh, at the University of South Florida. Um, from there, uh, ended up going to work for Nike, was with Nike Golf for um, several years, both out in the field, um, as well as managing a sales territory and, and account management um, with some of our larger, more strategic relationships. And then um, from there, went inside Dick's Sporting Goods, was a, was a buyer for, for a period of time. Um, and then worked at GNC and e-commerce operations. Um, Interesting. You know, all, of, all of that took us through Florida to, to Pittsburgh. Um, but being being originally from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, we had had our first uh, son by then, um, you know, just wanted to find an opportunity to get back closer to home and, um, you know, through a crazy long story that I won't bore you with, um, you know, ended up, ended up finding an opportunity in Amazon. And, and what was exciting was, you know, I think, Amazon, uh, when you start, you know, there can be a lot to take in. There's a lot of acronyms at the company. There's a lot of projects going on. There's a lot of people doing a lot of different uh, initiatives and things to, to make it run how it runs. And I think for, you know, 30 days, we always had kind of this um, internal joke that, you know, you were, it was kind of like drinking from a fire hose that, you know, there was a lot of information um, coming at you probably more than you could handle. And, yeah, I think sure. everybody goes through kind of a 30, 60, 90 day uh, curve there where for the first 30 days, you're just kind of hanging on for dear life. And, um, you know, the next 30 after that, um, you know, you, it, everything starts to slow down a little bit and, and make a little bit more sense. And by 90 days, I thought, you know, having having had all of that broad experience, both as an educator um, you know, in e-commerce operations where we were kind of handling the, the entire picture of, of the web experience from merchants to marketers to um, customer service, et cetera. And then going back to even, you know, the Nike experience of having a very strong brand and protecting that brand and, and how you thought about brand. Um, and then the experience of exporting goods too, being a, a merchant, you know, how are those yeah. things presented to customers and and it all just kind of, you know, seemed to click. And so I spent seven years at, at Amazon in a variety of roles, all of which oh. were primarily focused around marketplace. And, you know, what a crazy time to, uh, 
to have been at marketplace um you know you probably could go back through the shareholder letters from you know 2013 and and compare those to to 2020 um and the size uh that marketplace grew the importance of you know going from you know 25 30 percent of of consumer sales to to well north of 50. that's oh. that's a big number um there's a lot of processes that were built during that time definitely, uh, definitely. some some good uh some some that we've moved on from um but but a fun time to be in marketplace and i think that's what really gave me that the passion for the marketplace the the seller business the entrepreneurs and founders that that make their living there and the businesses the small and medium-sized businesses that that exist there um and to me it's just it's such a fascinating space so when we had the opportunity to uh create foundry you know i think You'll see as we get into to more of this discussion that you know okay. a lot of those same core principles of of what we did at Amazon to try and stimulate that marketplace are the same things that we try and do at Foundry. We just have a little bit more control, and obviously we have the ability to uh, you know create kind of life changing events for a lot of these founders and validate what they've built. Sorry to interrupt you, Bidu. I just wanted to let you know that I really appreciate you having you here today watching this video right now and i wanted to let you know that margin business can help you to localize all of your amazon listings for the european union if you have any questions about that just send us an email thank you one more thing if you like our content please hit the subscribe button and give us a thumbs up thank you now enjoy the video. Did you uh, did you ever sell? I mean, yourself on Amazon, or do you really like were hundred percent involved in the whole process within uh, Amazon as a, as a part of Amazon? Yeah, it's a good question. I never actually sold on Amazon, though. Many of my coworkers did. There was a there was a period of time where we actually had a a, a process where you know you could go create an account. Um, you know, and employees were actually encouraged to do so just so that they learn the mechanics of, of that's, selling. That's like, very interesting. So they could actually do it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of my earliest coworkers uh, who I sat next to, you know, she and her husband, he was in grad school at the time and, and, you know, they found a little niche business of, um, you know, a local supplier that wasn't selling online and, and they would go, you know, place their orders and they would go pick them up once a month and they would, you know, ship them into FBA and, and, and sell that. And it probably paid for a good portion of his grad school. Um, but they cannot, they cannot get blocked, right? <laughs> no. And, and again, you know, when, when they did this, you know, there were very, there were very strict rules. Like there was no, uh, you know, those worlds, as you can imagine with a tech company, there's a lot of ways to make sure that you're auditing this, but you know, nobody was allowed to, to pull any strings or, or sure, create sure. any kind of unfair advantages. And, um, you know, I'm sure, uh, and, and it was just, it was, it was nice to be able to get, uh, you know, I got the experience a lot through them, but you know, nice to, to help them pack a box and, and create an FBA shipping label because the next time that you're talking to one of your accounts about, you know, how they optimize a warehouse process, having been through it, um, is helpful to, to relay the information.
Oh, I think I think that is brilliant, you know. But it's kind of an insider trading. Uh, I would like very, yeah, say because you know they have a, a kind of an unfair advantage because they could see, I mean, the whole marketplace how it works. But when I think about it, kind of yes, kind of no, you know, because as you mentioned, they cannot uh, uh, any pull any strings or do anything, but they could still look into accounts and understand. Because uh, what you mentioned in 2013, 2014, there was no software like Helium 10 nowadays where we can really look into stuff, you know. So that means the, the data was still inside uh, Amazon or we have to pull them out manually uh, with Excel sheets and fill them out little by little. And then we can see um, who sells, who don't sell. But generally, I mean, it's a, it's a really uh, amazing experience that you have been so early in Amazon and could see the process where we're going and where we are today. And there's two different worlds, obviously, you know, because in 2012, 2013, there was a, that was a little uh, Alice in Wonderland, you know, and today we have, <laughs> we have everything, you know, we, we're coming down, getting blocked for anything and uh, everywhere. And it's, uh, it's, it's, got, it's, it's, it's a complete other Amazon, I would even say. Um, what you have as mentioned, uh, you, you worked as well for, uh, for Nike before. Um, in the golf se section, do you play golf actually yourself, or how how did you how did you got into this? I mean yeah, I uh, I do. I love to golf. Uh, you know, I played played uh, college sports. Was a Division One baseball player, and wow. you know, okay. as as my as my career, uh, you know, in college ended. Um, you know, there's probably a reason most people are uh that they go through that and play that long or are competitive and i'm certainly no different and um you know i wasn't wasn't going to get 10 11 people together to go play a you know pick up baseball game and and kind of needed a competitive outlet and um you know just so happened that i'd always loved golf growing up and and had a little bit of uh you know more time now that i wasn't playing and you know it was a great great opportunity. And I just realized, um, you know, I think there was a, there was a famous Mark Cuban quote and he talked about how, um, on a, on an appearance that, you know, you don't, people always say, follow your passion and, and success will follow. And he was like, <clears throat> his, his point was, that's not always the case. He's like, yeah, um, okay. you know, he was passionate about sales and, and selling and, and yet, uh, what he's famous for is is coding and software and and technology and he's like um, you know so his advice is you know don't don't follow what you're passionate about follow what you're really exceptionally good at because people don't quit things that they're exceptionally good at and his point was you know he'd sit there and go well I love sales but I just spent the last forty eight hours straight up coding for the last two days. Um, you know, I'm not going to quit coding. I'm good at it. And he would realize after a two or three day coding streak that like, that's, that's what he should do with his time okay. because he was good at it. And he had just spent two days doing it nonstop. So clearly he had a, you know, ability to do it. Um, Definitely. And I think golf was golf was largely the same journey for me. Like I would just go to the driving range because I had time and, and had fun. And I realized that, you know, I liked practicing just as much, if not more than playing. And, and pretty soon, you know, you put that kind of time into practicing something and, and you get better and you get passionate about it. But when I started at Nike, you know, I didn't, I didn't truly understand all the, all the technical 
you know, specs that go into making a golf club. Like I didn't, I didn't understand a lot of that. And was very fortunate to have been around, you know, a lot of people that had had a lot more experience in that space have grown up in that space. And then it just became kind of a new passion project to learn more and more about, you know, how the equipment was made, how it was going to be marketed, you know, what were the opportunities to improve, how, how does better understanding that equipment help you relate to your customers? How's it going to be marketed in store? How's that, you know, golf pro that owns a, a green grass shop going to be able to relay this to the customer sure. to, to make it compelling? And I think seeing that whole journey was super helpful. Yeah, I, th I think as well. That's why I'm asking because these are points which are actually obviously sticking out, you know. And what, what you meant with Mar what you said with Mark Cuban is as well funny because I had somebody uh, a few weeks in the podcast. Uh, his name is Nater Youngchild. Uh, shout out to Nater Youngchild as well. And he said exactly the same. Uh, pay attention of, of what you're good at because mm -hmm. you will end up doing it until the rest of your, most probably until the rest of your life, you know. So this is yeah. something which I, I really... Uh, uh, I really liked it. You know? uh, so the, the journey went on. Um, you mentioned GNC as well, because GNC is uh, especially for me something um, uh, special uh, in, in one way, because in the US, obviously, it's a very uh, big brand in Asia as well. Um, but in Europe, it's not too big. I mean, in the UK, yes, but in the rest of the European Union, it's not big. Um, and they don't do the marketing efforts as well in order to be big. So that's what I wanted to, that's why I wanted to know how does GNC in the States work? Why um, do, are they very concentrated only on the area where it works and they don't care about the rest or how, how does it work? Just a quick overview, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, ha I haven't been there since uh, 2011, 2012. Oh, okay, so, okay, um, okay. Yeah, you know, the business, bit, uh, yeah. the business has probably gone through a lot of change, but but I think, you know, the, the things that I can comment on is, you know, it's a, it's a super fascinating business, I think, because they've, they've done such a great job connecting to, you know, that, that health conscious, um, you know, workout fitness enthusiast consumer and, and they did it in a, um, in a really big way. What I think is interesting was that, you know, it's a very, it's a very complex business because you had franchise stores, you had corporate owned stores, yeah. you had um, managing the supply between those two things. Um, I think everybody there would say, and certainly it was true when I was there, you know, might've been a little bit later to kind of join into the e-commerce, uh, you know, party uh, than they should have. And so, um, you know, you, you dealt with, uh, you know, a lot of, because you have franchisees that are, that are very important to the company, you have corporate owned stores and corporate initiatives that are very important okay. to the company, trying to balance all of those things through the experience that you provide to e-commerce was, was really enlightening because I think, you know, people, people have a tendency, we're all the same, I'll throw myself in this boat that, you know, occasionally you get fearful of, of change, right? And, sure. you know, a lot of people that, uh, for example, that had franchised out the, the GNC name to start their stores, they felt like giving somebody the opportunity to purchase those products online was actually going to impact, you know, their, their investment in their store. And, and, okay. you know, over time, 
you know, being conscious of that point of view, what ended up happening was their store traffic actually ended up benefiting a lot from the website because there were there were more orders out there. There were places that you know needed to return, um, and those locations popped up in you know somebody's Google Maps, and and so you know the long story short, I think, and and the lesson was. You know, you certainly take that input into consideration, but, you know, I think also try and develop plans and be conscious of the fact that, you know, the consumer wants convenience at the end of the day and whether they buy online because of convenience or whether they buy in store because of convenience, there is ways to marry kind of that omni-channel experience, but it's got to be done, you know, with with intention it's got to be done so that the experience is going to be similar in all of those different places sometimes people want to go explore in a store and then they buy online and sometimes people do their research online and go buy in store because they have one more question or you know it it ends up netting out to be positive for the business when you have more customers that are served in the way that they want to digest information and that was a big part of what we did every day was making sure that somebody that walked in the store or went to the website had access to all the information that they wanted um, regardless in the place that they wanted at the time that they wanted it. And it takes a lot more coordination, but uh, it was a great experience. Um, the reason why I mentioned this is because, you know, Nike, GNC, obviously they are big brands. Um, you, you have seen how they grow and then Amazon for you, you have seen how they grow. Um, you have seen uh, everything inside, how they uh, work. Oh, you explained as well with GNC that they have stores and they have franchise that, you know, that it's not so easy afterwards as well to, to develop the e-commerce side. Although, you know, right now would be a very good, a big opportunity for them. They seem not to put the whole 100% on it, for example. While Nike as well adapted, they went uh, 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 online, they, they, they did everything they can. And now even they... Um, they go even bigger. They go into the, the, the NFT space. They, you know, it's they. Everyone is developing, and that's what I was missing a little bit with uh, with GNC actually. But the the main reason why I mentioned all of these brands is because now we know as well your background because of these brands because of the background foundy brands. Obviously, um, you don't know exactly what is going on with brands, be it small or big, or the challenges they run through. So um, that's why I think, uh, uh, you know, your company can really understand brands to buy and which brands, for example, not to buy, uh, which brands have potential, which brands have even more potential for the future or which are only for now, maybe, you know, can ride on them a bit and then uh, try to sell them again. So tell us a little bit more about uh, Foundry brands and, um, you know, your mission and where you want to go. Yeah, so uh, I'm a co-founder and chief acquisition officer of uh, Foundry Brands, and and we do have a wonderful CEO, uh, Helen Bade, who's who's come from um, you know places like Pizza Hut and Walmart, and and I think you know our executive team, our founding team, I think has really tried to approach Foundry Brands from more of an operations perspective and say, look. Let's leverage all of this experience that we have, not just with small brands and marketplace and all the work that we did at Amazon. You know, one of my co-founders helped build most of Seller Central. Um, 
you know, and, and, and really being involved in kind of even still where marketplace is going is largely still part of, you know, plans that we and, and our teams were part of. Um, but I think thinking about all of how a brand continues to thrive through not just Amazon, but through Walmart's marketplace and, and retail channels and, you know, how they're using social media to acquire customers and engage with their customers and listen to their customers, you know, influences how new products are developed. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, Foundry feels like we have the, you know, so many businesses are constrained because they're, they're owner operated. And if it's owner operated, it's only natural that you're going to make really, uh, really careful and cautious and sustainable decisions because that is your livelihood. Um, whereas I think one of the opportunities that Foundry has is, you know, we raised $100 million of equity. We have the ability to invest in that brand at a scale that, you know, most owner operators don't. Um, yeah. Two, you know, I think my team personally launched probably over 10,000, 12,000 brands over seven years and getting to watch who succeeded and who didn't and what the blueprint of creating a successful brand is, is really important when you think about that's not just, that's not just an asset or a line item on a balance sheet. That's, that's a company that needs to continue to develop and thrive and, and, and get that investment of both, you know, human resources, human capital as well as financial resources and having a blueprint in mind before you start is, is really critical. We're never at Foundry, we're never going to be the company that, you know, is, is bragging that we've done 10 acquisitions last week. Cause our belief is if you did 10 acquisitions last week, you probably didn't, you know, do the right acquisitions. Like we want to find brands that we can invest in over the next 10 years and continue to grow those. So more of the, you know, model where, um, you know, it's quality over quantity. It's, it's brands that are going to become part of the foundry family and the founders are going to, you know, we're stewards of these brands and we want the founders around and involved and engaged in, in where that brand goes. We're just, we're unlocking a lot of resources that help them scale. I think I think that's that's a very good way, you know, because, you know, when you, when you have the knowledge and you can guide as well, uh, um, the sellers, um, because they are anxious, they are maybe sometimes they even want to throw everything away because they just want to get rid of it, or they really it's their baby and they want to, you know, they want to, they don't want to give it out of their hands, you know. So you have to guide them, you tell, you, you show them how it goes, you maybe we'll build, you build it, you build a little bit more. Um, and then you, you can just, you know, simply after one year, maybe then uh, they let it go, you know, so every seller is different. And I think it's a very good approach, how you can explain and as well, uh, your background gives confidence for the sellers as well. So um, I think that's a, a pretty, uh, one of the unique uh, uh, aggregator brands, uh, founding brands. Um, can you just tell us where where can uh, anyone contact you who wants, for example, to sell the brands? What is the website so we can just put it under uh, under the uh, the video here? Yeah, you can visit us at, at foundrybrands.com. Uh, there's there's web forms there so that we can you know reach out to you um, and engage and and look like you know because I mentioned earlier that you know we're 
where it's not a numbers game for us. Um, you know, we try and leave everybody, you know, better off for that conversation than what they came in. So, you know, if it's not a fit, we're going to give you every bit of, you know, advice that we have and, and make sure that that time spent was valuable. Cause at the end of the day, um, you know, and then maybe this is part of where the educator, uh, in me comes, comes back around, but M&A is a complicated space. You know, you can certainly pay lawyers and you can certainly pay accountants, but at the end of the day, if you don't understand what you're doing with a business, you've never been through an exit before, just knowing what questions to ask. Like I would say 99 out of 100 people that have exited a business, they can't recall specific contractual terms and, and half the time they can't even remember exactly what the finances were, what the agreement looked like and, and things like that. They all will tell you though, that it was incredibly important that they spent time to make sure that whoever they sold their business to was going to be aligned to running it in a way that they were aligned with, um, you know, that there was a cultural fit. And I think to the extent that we can, we like to keep the founders as involved as they want to be in the process, which is a differentiator. And I think, um, you know, the, the second piece is, look, we're trying to create a great experience so that you still think positively about our engagement in the future, whether we did business or we didn't do business, you know, nothing makes us happier than trying to, to serve those that, you know, put their heart and soul into their business and, and give them a little advice and hopefully help their journey regardless. Great. Uh, I think that is, uh, that is really good. Um, to wrap this up, one last question. Um, what would be your message to the world? I mean, to Amazon sellers, to CEOs, to entrepreneurs, uh, anything that you um, can say right now? Yeah, I just, I think it's a unique time in history where, you know, so many businesses yeah. have been created online. Um, and, you know, when I read articles about how, uh, you know, Amazon or other marketplaces have, you know, made it hard to succeed in kind of a brick and mortar, um, you know, retail environment. The reality is customers did that. Customers wanted the convenience exactly. of shopping online. It wasn't, it wasn't Amazon, but what Amazon has created is this marketplace where you can connect to their 300 million worldwide customers and you can have access to you know, the same tools that they use to, to, to sell their products to, to consumers. And because of that, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen the great stories of people that are retired at 27, 28, because they, you know, built a marketplace business for the last six years and they sold it or uh, people that can live wherever they want to in the world and travel around and raise their family wherever they want to. Just because the business doesn't live on your town in Main Street doesn't mean that it's not employing people and having a positive impact in, in small business. So I would say, look, this is the perfect opportunity for all those, all those conversations that you have with your family and your friends that start out on a napkin at your kitchen table of a product idea, a better mousetrap, whatever. It's never been easier to find somebody that can make that product for you, source it, and, and find a way to instantly connect with millions and millions of people. And the reality is, on Amazon, you can have a, a completely niche business, you know, that only applies to a specific subset of customers, and that still can be millions and millions of dollars of revenue. Um, so it's never been easier to create a business, and certainly right now, from a foundry perspective, 
you know, we love businesses like that that have created legitimate connections with their customers. And, and you know, you can build and exit a brand in, in almost no time. And so if you have that entrepreneurial kind of uh, interest, you know, there's, there's no better time. There's a mountain of information out there. There's, there's a path to do it. And, and now there's an exit path to validate that that time was, was more valuable. Um, and so I just encourage people to, to take the opportunity and take the leap though it's something that they're passionate about. Definitely, I can confirm that. And we are definitely the best times right now. Uh, internet, uh, we are connected everywhere. Um, we can do everything from our homes even, you know, so we just have to, we just have to do it, just take action. Thank you so much, Kyle. Um, Absolutely, thanks for having me.